Fighting for the Faith is listener-supported radio. That means we depend upon you and your generous gifts and financial contributions in order to continue to bring Fighting for the Faith to you into the world. If you don't already support us, you can do so by visiting our website, fightingforthefaith.com. When you get there, you can click on one of our two friendly yellow buttons, or you can make your gift payable to Fighting for the Faith and then send it to Post Office Box 13344, Grand Forks, North Dakota, zip code 58208. And thank you for your support. It's time for another edition of Fighting for the Faith. Monday, February 27th, 2017. Good to be back in studio. Actually, good to be back in the country. Yeah, I had to go to Europe for a few days last week. I'll give a few details, but not too many. Hold on, let's get through this opening segment here. Thank you for tuning in. You're listening to Fighting for the Faith. My name is Chris Roseborough. I am your servant in Jesus Christ, and this is the program that dishes up a daily dose of biblical discernment, the goal of which, help you to think biblically, help you to think critically, and help you to slow down, stop, open up your Bible, and compare. Compare what people are saying in the name of God to the Word of God. No shortage of really crazy things being said out there, and we do the comparative work to test and see if what the most popular pastors, preachers, teachers, conference speakers, self-proclaimed prophets, prophetesses, self-appointed apostles and apostolates, and those generally put forward by the evangelical industrial complexes, those whom we need to be listening to, whose books we need to be buying, and whose small group curricula apparently we need to be studying instead of the Word of God. And over and again, we demonstrate that the steady diet that's being put forward by the evangelical industrial complex is not healthy, sound, you know, good for you kind of doctrine. It's, whoa, uh, beyond junk food. It's, uh, well, the equivalent of uh, theological medical waste. And so we want to warn you about uh, what's being said out there, teach you what the scriptures actually teach. By the way, what God's word really says so much more interesting, so much more amazing and comforting uh, than what's being said out there. And uh, the reason for this is because God's Word is amazing, and the people who are putting forward this stuff clearly are demonstrating that they're not qualified to be doing so. But, uh, of course, you know, they're popular. They they know how to play the... Uh, <clears throat> the current relevant card or, you know, pop culture or whatever. And so people, oh, we gotta, we gotta do this because we gotta grow the church. Yeah, no, if you wanna grow the church, you have to actually preach the word and do it rightly. Faith comes by hearing, hearing by the word of Christ. Does this sound familiar? Romans chapter 10. Look it up. Anyway, so, uh, like I said at the beginning of the program, I was, uh, out of uh, the studio last week. And uh, the 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 program on Friday, you know, the 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 last program of the week before I had to take the week off, explained that I had to uh, be out of town for a little bit. And I try not when I'm traveling, whenever possible, uh, I try not to give too many details because you know the the powers that be, the people who know about such things, they 
tell you to not make a big deal of your traveling and you know and don't tell everybody today right now I'm at the Eiffel Tower or something like that which by the way I wasn't at the Eiffel Tower um you know cuz then what happens is is that there's people who you know kind of troll social media and they say oh this person's not home so that means we can go and rob them and uh, although, you know, I don't ever leave my home, uh, you know, uh, open like that, you know, there's somebody always in my home. Um, I just don't feel like for safety's sake, it's a good idea to discuss my travel plans. So last week um, on Sunday after church, I went to Atlanta. I serve on the board of directors for a youth organization by the name of Higher Things. Fantastic organization, by the way. And uh, and so we were having our annual strategy session, board of directors meeting, you know, kind of thing. And uh, we packed two days. I mean, just jam packed two days with stuff. And it turned out to be a fantastic meeting. And uh, and then on Tuesday, hopped a plane, uh, red eye flight to the Netherlands, and uh, spent some time in the Netherlands attending to some church business. I'll uh, kind of leave it at that. And uh, and then on. Um, Friday headed back to the United States and made, <laughs> made it back in time for my weekend duties at Kongsvinger and uh, and so yeah it, the last week was a whirlwind tour whirlwind tour for me and uh, and you know I, listen I'm a homebody for the most part <laughs> it's like you know this jet setting lifestyle it's you know maybe for the younger guys but even then I you know I I know from you know past history that you know, jetting around the country or the world. That is just not an easy thing to do. So glad to be back in studio. We have uh, steady weeks ahead of uh, just normal uh, programmage here at Fighting for the Faith. And, uh, of course, as we get into the summer season, things are going to be a wee bit on the challenging side. We're still putting the uh, final touches on uh, getting ready to uh, open up registration for our two summer conferences uh, the first conference, uh, the 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 name of it is abandoned. Yeah, you know, has the has evangelicalism abandoned the Reformation, and it will be in Sydney, Australia. We think we have uh, the uh, venue locked down, and so we're we're just about ready to open up registration for that. And that particular conference, the Sydney, Australia conference, uh, which will be June thirtieth and July first, June thirtieth and July first. Uh, the registration will be free for that uh, for that conference, and uh, you know how that came about. I don't want to get into details about that, but uh, the idea here is is that uh, those of you in the South Pacific Rim, you know, maybe in Singapore or New Zealand, Australia, you know, uh, Papua New Guinea, you know, places like that. Uh, this uh, this is uh, a conference that's designed to. Uh, be thought-provoking and educational, and it'll be a great opportunity to uh, meet the listeners of Australia. Again, Friday, June 30th, July 1st, uh, will be our conference in Sydney. Uh, we, we will be having a conference for Pirate Christian Radio in uh, at Kongsvinger Lutheran Church, Oslo, Minnesota. And uh, that one, unfortunately, will not be free. But uh, each of the um, each of the conferences will be limited to the first 150 people. Registrations will be opening up shortly, so uh, stay tuned. Details are coming. But uh, let's uh, switch gears here a little bit and talk about what we're going to be doing on today's episode of Fighting for the Faith. 
We're going to be doing a prophetic Holy Orders Network Information Exchange Syndicate Twin Spin. Uh, we're first going to check in with the uh, the self-proclaimed prophetess, Sarah, as uh, she explains to us... Um, let me check my notes. <laughs> uh, the, the idea here is why are the dams breaking in California? Mm-hmm. Now you're thinking, oh, okay, I may have seen this on the news. Here in uh, the United States... Uh, the state of California has been experiencing a drought for quite a while. And um, let's just say years of drought have been undone in four months. They've literally had record rain, snow, all this kind of stuff happening in uh, in the state of California. And, uh, and as a result of it, some of their older dams have become um, structurally compromised, if you would. And they've, uh, you know, so they're having issues there with their dams. Uh, and the reservoirs there in California as a result of the, the, literally the record precipitation that they've been experiencing over the last four months. And um, and so if you're probably wondering, well, what does this have to do with Christianity? Well, don't worry. Uh, the, the self-proclaimed, self-appointed prophetess, Sarah, a YouTube prophetess, by the way, um, she will be explaining to us why why all of this rain is falling in California and and why these dams are structurally becoming compromised and breaking and things like that. She's going to explain to us this has everything to do with what's going on in the heavenlies and stuff like that. And, um, and then to round things off, we'll head over to XP Media. Uh, this will be the second half of our prophetic twin, uh, prophetic holy orders network information exchange syndicate twin spin. Uh, Robert Hodgkin uh, preached for uh, Patricia King this past week uh, while she's out of town, and she has her Shiloh uh, Web Fellowship thing. So Robert Hodgkins uh, was uh, doing the preaching, and we're going to listen to uh, his mishandling, and it is a common type of mishandling of scripture as he's going to explain to us the very important lesson of how to silence the storms in our life. Yeah, how to silence the storms in our life. Uh, somewhere in there, we're going to end up having to take a break and because the uh, Robert Hodgkins bit will actually take some time. And, uh, and then when we're done with the Robert Hodgkins update, uh, we will head over to the Potter's house as we listen to T.D. Jake's uh, mangling the Bible uh, as he explains to us the important doctrine of uh, watering the seed. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, yeah, yeah. I don't, I don't know what that means. We need to apparently water the seed, and uh, and then in hour number two, we're going to head down to uh, Arise Church in New Zealand. Arise Church, and uh, this is uh, the the uh, J- John Cameron, uh, you know. The uh, vision casting leader there will be explaining to us uh, how the scriptures will uh, teach us about the anatomy of destiny, the anatomy of destiny. And uh, well, so we're going to note how these uh, fellows are handling or mishandling God's word along the way. So strongly recommend that you make yourself comfortable. Like I said, we have a ton of ground that we need to cover. And since we're going to begin with the Prophetic Holy Orders Network Information Exchange Syndicate Update, that requires us to do this. Hallelujah. Get up right now.
that's right. That's Robert Tilton and Hubabaconda. So we're heading over to YouTube, and uh, you know where many of these self-proclaimed prophets and prophetesses uh, hold court, if you would. And we're going to be checking in with the self-appointed and self-proclaimed prophetess Sarah as she explains to us how the floodgates of heaven are open. And that is what is really behind uh, the uh, the rain precipitation going bonkers out there in California. I'll let her explain. Here's Sarah. Hi, my friends. Thank you so much for joining me today. You know, as I was worshiping the other day to one of my favorite songs by Jesus Culture called Let It Rain, mm-hmm. <laughs> which... Jesus culture, by the way, um, <clears throat> the praise and worship extension arm of Bethel Church, Redding, California, and is theologically as dangerous as Bethel Church, Redding, California. Uh, their lyrics, well, yeah, quite the mess. Um, so here we got the self-appointed and self-proclaimed prophetess, Sarah, explaining to us while she was listening to Bethel music. <laughs> Yeah, Jesus culture. Um, that uh, the, the song "Let It Rain." Oh, that she had a a revelation from God. Uh huh. Oh yeah, yeah. So notice the humble brag there about you know, while I was worshiping. Yeah. Okay. I will put a link below for you to listen and meditate after this video. Yeah. Sorry, I appreciate the invitation, but I won't be doing that. As I was singing along to this song, I heard the Lord say to me, in my spirit. Uh-huh. He said, the floodgates are open. He did. And how are you um, certain that that was actually God speaking in your spirit? Mm-hmm. You know, I, I have to ask the question because my immediate issue is, is that you're a self-appointed prophetess claiming to receive direct revelation from God. Um, while openly admitting that you listen to heretical music from a heretical organization, you know, Bethel Church, which which demonstrably has people at the helm who are false prophetesses, and well, false prophets, sorry, I'm going to get my genders right here, false prophets themselves. Um, so I'm pretty sure God wasn't speaking in your spirit, and why on earth would it matter if the floodgates were open? And and why is he telling you this? The floodgates of heaven are open. Okay. My friends, (laughs) it is time to reap the harvest. It is. You know, it's only spring here. Um, And in North Dakota, you know, uh, uh, where I live, uh, and, you know, I serve in Minnesota, um, there's a lot of farmers, and we still have snow on the ground. Um, so we're not reaping any harvests anytime soon here. Um, in fact, we're kind of waiting for the snow to disappear and the ground to thaw, um, <laughs> so that you can actually plant something. And you know that that's coming up in the months ahead, but still a little early for that. You know, those things that you have sown into the kingdom and for the kingdom are about to be reaped. They are. Okay, um, and we're going to be hearing from T.D. Jakes about uh, watering seed. Yeah, so, um, okay, all right. Things like, um, you know, financial sowing or acts of kindness or even sowing into God's heart in the secret place with the Lord. And What? <laughs> Hang on a second here. 
Um, you think that people can sow into God's heart in the secret place. I don't even know what that means, but then again, it's probably a secret. Okay. And in prayer, those things that you've done in secret that yeah. he has noticed because he doesn't miss a thing are about to be reaped. The floodgates, my friend. Right. So apparently my praise and worship um, sows into the secret place in God's heart, and then I can reap from that. Hmm. This sounds like a very weird mystical form of works righteousness to me. These are open, the floodgates of heaven. You know, I've talked about before that um, the physical rain that we've been seeing in our nation, in the world, specifically in like California, that this rain is an, a manifestation of what God is pouring out in the spirit. Yeah, so because God opened up the spiritual floodgates of heaven, um, this is what is really uh, the cause of all of the rain in California. Now, here in um, in North Dakota, um, you know we've we've had a few substantive snowstorms, but in in, in reality, I mean, we did not have you know a a just ginormous bunker year of snow here. Um, you know, at one point we may have had two feet on the ground. Um, but I mean, it never really got super de duper high. And, and in, in the grand scheme of things, it was, uh, you know, we didn't all have all that much precipitation. And so, uh, should I assume from that, that, uh, because, you know, we didn't get six, seven feet of snow, uh, which would have been huge, um, that uh, because we didn't get six, seven feet of snow, that, that the floodgates of heaven being open, that they were really not open very well here in uh, North Dakota. Um, so, you know, but in California, you know, the floodgates being opened, I mean, that's what caused so much precipitation. I, I mean, I had no idea that this is how this worked. The rains and the flooding that we have been seeing that are so intense that dams are breaking. These are manifestations of what God is pouring out in the spirit. Uh-huh. Right. So, um, so the state of California, if they wanted to, they could send the bill to maybe like Saddleback Church, you know. So, uh, you know, the, the, the dam that's breaking and, uh, and all the damage done to the, you know, the structural damage to the older reservoirs, as a result of all of this uh, precipitation. So they can send the bill for these repairs to all of the different Christian churches, right? I mean, it, it makes sense. I mean, well, say it's your God that, you know, caused the floodgates of the spiritual realm to open up, and that led to all this rain here. So we're going to, you know, and I, I mean, after all, rain is an act of God, so we're going we're gonna to build the churches, and they are the ones who can... Uh, foot the bill for uh, <clears throat> the repairs that need to be done. Now, let me be really, really clear here. Okay. I am absolutely not saying that God is causing floods and causing dams to break. <laughs> um, well, actually, you are. <laughs> huh. You know, that's weird because she said she, hang on, I got to back this up. Okay, you know, she was literally saying that this is caused by a man, you know, by, you know, the physical realm was the manifestation of what was going on in the spiritual realm. I mean, and that God is the one who's opening up the floodgates. And let me back this up and let's listen again. 
that this rain yeah. is an, a manifestation of what God is pouring out in the spirit. Okay, so that was a direct quote. The rain was a manifestation of what God is pouring out in the spirit. The rains and the flooding that we have been seeing that are so intense that dams are breaking. These are manifestations of what God is pouring out in the spirit. All right, so these are the results of manifestations of what God's pouring out in the spirit. Now, let me be really, really clear here. I am absolutely not saying that God is causing floods and causing dams to break. <laughs> uh, and how does that work then? You know, I, how, you know, how is it that not, God is not responsible? Yeah, yeah I'm, I am so confused. What I'm saying is that the physical world, yeah. nature, creation, cannot help but to respond to what God is pouring out in the spirit because it is. But, you know, God being God, he would know then that if he poured out the floodgates of heaven in the spiritual realm, and then as, you know, as a result, the natural consequence would be that the, the, the physical realm would experience this, some manifestations of rain and stuff like that. God being God would know that this is how these dominoes fall, right? So powerful. <laughs> <laughs> you know, it says in Romans, it says, for even the whole creation, all nature waits expectantly and longs earnestly for God's sons and daughters to be made known. Yeah, um, th that passage has nothing to do with what you're talking about. Yeah, she's. She, why would I believe she's hearing from God when she seems utterly clueless when it comes to rightly handling, you know, the clear word of God, the stuff we can actually check with grammar and, you know, in context and stuff like, I mean, hmm. This spiritual flood, my friends, is greater than anything we have ever seen before or witnessed in all of history, greater than any revival that has ever happened before. This is going to trump all of them. Okay, so the spiritual flood is going to trump everything. Okay. You know, in 1 Kings 18, Elijah recognized a small cloud in the sky. And he'd been praying for rain, and he recognized... <laughs> <laughs> so now she's uh, twisting uh, 1 Kings um, 18. Okay. Is that one small cloud in the sky signified an abundance of rain on the way. Yeah, actually, um, God told him that it was going to rain. Um, and that was right after the whole Mount Carmel incident. Um, and it had nothing to do with what was going on in the spirit, per se. There was no teaching in First Kings about the floodgates of the spiritual realm being opened here. So this actually isn't a cross-reference in the Bible to what you think God is saying right now. And in our day and in our hour, there are so many spiritual clouds the size of a man's hand. <laughs> <laughs> what a weird little demonic cackle that is. Pointing to the abundance of spiritual rain that is being released from heaven. Mm. Are you sure about that? Um, again, um, could you show me your prophetic credentials? Uh, maybe we need to check your prophetic batting average, too. You know, Jesus said in Matthew 16, he said... When it's evening, you will say it's going to be fair weather, for the sky is red. And in the morning, it will be stormy today, because the sky is red and has a gloomy and threatening look. Yeah, he, he did say that, but again, 
if you look at the context of that passage, it has nothing whatsoever to do with what you're talking about. You know how to interpret the appearance of the sky, but you cannot interpret the signs of the times. My friends, the signs that are happening all around all around us are signs of the times. Right, yeah, they're, they're signs of the times. You know, so the, the dams breaking in California means the floodgates of heaven have been opened. I mean, and nobody else has figured this out yet, except for the self-proclaimed prophetess, Sarah. She discovered this and heard this word in her heart while listening to Jesus culture. All right, we're still under the uh, <clears throat> the umbrella of the Prophetic Holy Orders Network Information Exchange Syndicate Update. We're going to quickly head over to XP Media and listen to the beginning of the setup for the Silence the Storms message <laughs> from Robert Hodgkins, which seems to be contradicting what the prophetess Sarah said, but, well, we'll let him talk about it. Here we go. Good morning, Shiloh. We're going to have a good time this morning. You're going to get revelation. You're going to get understanding. But I believe you're also going to receive impartation. Something is going to get ignited in you this morning. Yeah, um, I, I would like to stay away from any ignitions when it comes to these groups of people. Uh, the, the reason why is because when we talk about being ignited, that brings up, well, you know, fire. And in their case, since they're actually dishing out false teaching, false doctrine, false prophecies, and false words from God, when they talk about ignition, my fear is that they're, they're talking about the type of ignition well, which will never end, you know, you get what I'm saying. Something in you is going to rise up this morning. You are going to become aware of the divine power that is within you. Turn to one of your neighbors. I'm going to become aware of the what? Hey, we're going to have a good time this morning. <laughs> we are? I'm grateful to be with you all. I am usually either traveling or online. Hello to our online community that I'm usually with in the chat room. And, of course, hello to my beautiful bride who is watching online as well right now. Um, I want to talk this morning about silencing the storms. Yeah. Have you been silencing your storms? Mm -hmm. <laughs> what? <laughs> Yeah, I, I'm not familiar with that uh, that passage that teaches us how the silencing of storms occurs. But I'm sure, I mean, you know, Robert Hoskins. I mean, this is a global outreach, Shiloh Fellowship from XP Media and Patricia King. I mean, I'm sure he has great credentials and has rightly, well, shown himself to be approved as a workman who need not blush with embarrassment, who can rightly divide the word of truth. And uh, and things like that, um, and teach what's in accord with sound doctrine. <clears throat> um, I had a uh, a rare and wonderful morning with my wife yesterday. Between her schedule and my schedule, we don't get a ton of time together. But yesterday we had a a full morning together, and we got to relax together and have coffee together and catch up and talk. And one of the things my wonderful wife does for me is she keeps me up to date on news because I'm, I'm not a big news guy, but she's a big news consumer. And it was very interesting to me as she was sharing some things with me and highlighting some things around the world to me. Have you guys noticed there's some storms going on in the world right now? 
there's some storms going on in our nation. One of the one of the big ones we were talking. Yeah, you know, again, that's just weird because the prophetess Sarah was talking about the storms in California as proof that in the spiritual realm that the the floodgates had been opened. And here's Robert Hodgkin, you know, uh, a guy who's in touch with the latest prophetic whatevers that are coming down the pike. And he's totally, like, not even on the same page as the self-appointed prophetess Sarah. I'm I'm a little confused here. So am I supposed to embrace the storms because they are a manifestation of what's going on in the spirit? Or am I supposed to silence them? I'm a little confused. We'll have to continue uh, after the break with Robert Hodgkins. If you'd like to email me regarding anything you've heard on this edition or any previous editions of Fighting for the Faith, you can do so. My email address is talkback at fightingforthefaith.com, or you can subscribe on Facebook, facebook.com forward slash Pirate Christian. Follow me on Twitter. My name there, at Pirate Christian. Quick break when we come back. A little more Robert Hodgkins, and then we'll round out the first hour with uh, T.D. Jake. Stay tuned. Don't want to miss him. We'll be right back. No itching ears are scratched here. You're listening to Fighting for the Faith. You're listening to Pirate Christian Radio. We'll be taking your false doctrine now. <laughs> Python's Flying Circus Church. The management of Marty Python's Flying Circus Church would like to again apologize. Normally we try to do parody here at Marty Python's Flying Circus Church. Unfortunately, the church continues to just parody itself. Case in point, Rabbi Michael Zeitler's anointed shofar CD. This is a real commercial. When Rabbi Michael Zeitler blows the shofar, miracles take place. He wants to see God break every stronghold of the enemy in your life, healing you emotionally, physically, even in your relationships, bringing salvation to your entire household. Call now and receive both Rabbi Michael Zeitler's anointed audio CD, Sound of the Shofar, plus his brand new prophetic book, Why Israel is Supernatural, for a donation of $25. Shipping and handling is included. Ask for offer number 9081. Listen to this anointed audio CD. Allow God's glory to fill the room as Rabbi Rabbi Zeitler shares from the scriptures and then blows the shofar over every issue you are facing, including mental and emotional disorders, confusion, fear, stress, grief, nightmares, insomnia, pain, sickness and disease, addictions, eating disorders, weight loss, injustices, persecution, finances, marriages, rebellious children, freedom from the occult and demonic oppression, and so much more. Through Rabbi Zeitler's brand new prophetic book, Why Israel is Supernatural, you will learn how you and your family can obtain supernatural protection in the midst of the end time judgments about to be unleashed on planet Earth. Don't miss out on getting both Rabbi Michael Zeitler's anointed audio CD Sound of the Shofar, plus his brand new prophetic book, Why Israel is Supernatural for a donation of $25. Shipping and handling is included. Ask for offer number 9081. Call or write today. This is Dr. Curtis Lyons. 
I am the presiding pastor of the American Association of Lutheran Churches. If you are seeking a church that believes that the Holy Bible is the inerrant, infallible Word of God and accepts the Lutheran confessions because they are the right interpretation of Holy Scripture, I hope that you will take a look at the AALC. Also, if you are considering a vocation as a Lutheran pastor, our seminary has a residency program and a program available online. This is Curtis Lyons inviting you to take a look at the AALC. Check us out at taalc.org or on Facebook at the American Association of Lutheran Churches. Hi, Chris Rosebro here to talk about our longtime featured advertiser, Cheapo Air. Doesn't matter if you're traveling for business reasons or for pleasure. Doesn't matter if you're traveling within the United States or abroad. Cheapo Air is the place for you to save literally hundreds of dollars on your airfare, hotel rooms, and rental cars. Visit our website, fightingforthefaith.com. On the side of our website, you'll see our ad banners. Look at the ad banner for Cheapo Air and look on it. There's a promo code. Write the promo code down, click on the ad banner, and then book your travel at the Cheapo Air website, and you'll have the opportunity to enter that promo code for additional savings. Again, fightingforthefaith.com. Write down the promo code, click on the ad banner, and save money on your airfare, hotel rooms, and rental cars today. Warning, listening to Fighting for the Faith could cause you to think that all the people running around the planet claiming to be prophets and prophetesses and hearing directly from God are not. Just a reminder, Fighting for the Faith is a listener-supported radio. That means that we depend upon you and your generous gifts and financial contributions in order to continue to bring Fighting for the Faith to you and to the world. And you can partner with us. It is a partnership. Visit our website, fightingforthefaith.com. When you get there, you'll see our two friendly yellow buttons. One says donate. The other says join our crew. When you join our crew, you're signing up to automatically contribute well, an amount that you pick. That's right. There are four ranks in our crew, and you get to pick your rank. It's based on your monthly commitment. A lowest rank is Powder Monkey at $9.95 a month. After that, Gunner's Mate at $24.95 a month. From there, Master Gunner at $49.95 a month. And then after that, Quartermaster at $99.95 a month. This is a great way to support us. Of course, if you would like to specify the amount that you would like to contribute, you could do so by clicking on the Donate button, or you can make your gift payable to Fighting for the Faith, and then send it to Post Office Box 13344, Grand Forks, North Dakota, zip code 58208. And uh, let me thank you for your support. We truly cannot do what we are doing here without it. All right, let's check back in with uh, Robert Hodgkin as he is um, preaching at XP Media's Shiloh Fellowship and talking about the importance of, well, you know, silencing storms. Okay. We're talking about it at the 9 o'clock service. One of the big storms in our nation right now is a storm that's trying to create division in our nation. And Trying? <laughs> the storm is trying. And storms have a will, and the storm is attempting to cause division. I think it's already succeeded at doing that. 
The church, we're just not going to have it. We're going to have division in the church. We're not going to have division in the nation. We are a people of unity. We model. Yeah, actually, it's people like Robert Hodgkins and Patricia King who have brought division into the body of Christ by teaching what they ought not to teach. Yeah. Here at Shiloh, we embrace that here at Shiloh. We're going to give that gift to the rest of the church and through the church. I believe we can overcome this storm that's trying to create division in our nation and we can once again be one nation under God. There are storms going on in Europe. My wife knows my heart and my call to Europe. She was sharing some things with me that have been going on in Sweden and Paris. And I got to be honest, at first I was a little shocked. And then, um, I, then, then I had to get out with my day and I was shaving and I was in the shower and in the shower, all of a sudden I thought, well, I refuse to be shocked by this. I'm going to start speaking over Europe. I'm going to start declaring the promises God has given me for Europe. And I, uh, <clears throat> wow, he's the savior of Europe. Who knew? Um, yeah, that's weird. Many of you probably, well, maybe a couple of you have a storm in your life. Maybe one or two. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> fishing for. Any of you having storms in your life? Yeah, you know, okay. Difficulties, upsets, slipsies, oopsies, you know, things, anything that, you know, is, could be causing you discomfort, that could be a storm, you know. But what the reason I want to talk this morning is about silencing the storms is because we're made for it. I want to remind... We're made for silencing the storms. Do you have a biblical text that actually says that? you this morning of what God works throughout the Gospels to remind us as his disciples of the divine power that is within us to deal with anything the enemies would send against us. You know, that's a little weird here because notice the direction that this is heading. He isn't actually pointing us to Christ and to God to seek his aid and help and comfort and assistance. Um, and to pray to him and beseech him, Robert Hodgkins is pointing everybody inside of themselves as if the solution to their problem is within rather than God. Wow, okay. One of my favorite promises in the Gospels is one I rarely hear talked about, I rarely hear focused on, I rarely, I've never seen stitched onto a pillow or framed on a wall or on a refrigerator magnet. And I love all those. I love, we have, we have those. I love having the Word of God around my house. But it's John 16, where Jesus says, in this world, there will be tests, trials, and tribulations. <laughs> Nobody seems to want to embrace that promise. <laughs> But here's the great part. He says, but you may have peace in me. Fear not, for I have overcome this world. And I think that's a really important promise right now with everything that's going on in the world. Because the, the, the thing about this promise isn't, oh, we're world, there's going to be challenges. There's no hooray, hallelujah. And by the way, one of the reasons I love being with you guys on Sunday mornings and worshiping is because of you, sister. I love your hallelujah. I love your hallelujah. That, your hallelujah fires me up. I'll, I'll just be sitting here worshiping and I'll hear her saying hallelujah. And I'm like, yeah. Hallelujah. She knows he is overcome. But there's going to be tests and trials. But not to focus on that. Focus on he has overcome. And the reason this is so important, he doesn't say, hey, but fear not. I'm going to overcome them. I'm going to help you through them. I promise I'll do my best to get you there. He says, no, I have 
overcome. I have given you the victory. And the reason this is so important is when we get this, when we come to understand, not that he might, not that he can, not that he probably will or even will down the road, but he has overcome, we go in the midst of storms, we go from being afraid that God has failed or abandoned us when we hit a tough time or things don't go how we think they should when they think they should. In other words, we go from fear and doubt. We go from waiting for God to do something. In other words, a passive, powerless Christianity. We go from those things to a passive, powerless Christianity. So notice what he's doing here. It's very subtle. It's very slippery. He's describing those Christians who, you know, wait upon the Lord. <laughs> I seem to recall something in the scripture that those who wait upon the Lord will renew their strength. But, but Bible passages aside, um, he is basically describing those who would call on God, beseech God, pray to him, ask him for help, um, that, that somehow that's powerless Christianity. He's offering uh, apparently powerful Christianity. Hmm. Okay. Knowing that he has done it and that we are empowered as stewards in the earth to enforce that victory. As we are empowered as stewards to enforce victory. What? <laughs> Where does it say that? Dominion champions. And here's the key. When we know this, we go from seeing the battles as a burden to seeing them as an opportunity. And you guys, you, we know each other. We're family. You've heard me share before. One of my core beliefs and life messages is there's blessings in the battle. I personally believe God does not allow a battle in our life unless there is a blessing for us in it. I <laughs> you personally believe that. I mean, that's fine and dandy. Um, but you do know that the job of a pastor is not to preach his personal beliefs. Yeah, I, I know that might sound a little weird. The job of a pastor is to preach the word. Yeah. With what, what does the word reveal? What does the word say? Robert Hodgkins hasn't actually even come close to venturing into that territory yet. And like I said, this was a little bit of a longer segment with Robert Hodgkins. We're going to listen as he opens up the, the biblical text to try to demonstrate that this is what the Bible teaches. And he's going to literally fall on his face. I mean, it, it's fall flat. I mean, it, it's not even close. It, clearly, he's out of his league when it comes to even basic biblical hermeneutics and exegesis, and that'll be demonstrable in a minute here. Personally love the battles when I see the breakthrough right away. I love those. <laughs> but I have learned to love the longer battles, the lengthier battles. The, the metaphor God's given me recently, I shared. The metaphor God gave you? Tack this onto the back of your Bibles, folks. We have new metaphors from God being revealed. You need to add this to the scriptures. This morning um, uh, with the 9 o'clock service, um, to me it's the difference between learning the kazoo and learning the piano. It's pretty easy to learn the kazoo. I'm a maestro of the kazoo, just that quickly. You learn to blow in it and it's done. Learning the piano is going to take some time, is going to take lessons, is going to take practice. And I believe when we see... So, uh, 
do we go through kazoo storms as well as piano storms? Is that really what you're saying? Those quick victories. It's a great kazoo victory, man. So there's kazoo victories. This is a metaphor the Lord has given him. Add this to your Bible. It's great. We know the promise. We declare the promise. We see it. That's a faith builder. But when God gives us a bigger battle, when he gives us a piano battle, that doesn't mean he's not with us. It means we're learning. We're growing in ability. We're growing in, 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 in our, our, our mastery of flowing with him and making his beauty and victory known. You know, Jonathan, I've known Jonathan for many years now, and I was just thinking this morning, every time I hear him, his worship goes to another level. It's incredible. His singing, his, his piano playing. And how about Christy and that song that she's written? How wonderful is that song? How wonderful is our Christy? Now, I don't know if she's written a lot of songs, but I really like that song. That's the first I've heard. I don't know if that took, I don't know if that was a kazoo song or a piano song. I don't know if it flowed. Was she playing a kazoo or the piano? I, that, that might be a clue. I know it's a powerful song, and whether she got it in a moment or it took her a little time to craft it, it's a great victory, and it's the same with all our battles. It's the same with every... Uh-huh. Now, again, notice here, this, there's, a, there's a pattern to this type of preaching. He's laying all the theology out ahead of time. He hasn't opened a biblical text. We haven't heard a biblical text read out. He's not in the book at the moment exegeting the passage to show us how this is what God's Word reveals. This is all backwards, upside down, and inside out, which is a common technique used by the Bible twisters, false prophets, and false teachers. And so, you know, he's spilling out his theology. I believe, I believe, I believe. And he's giving examples, and people are engaged. He's being whimsical and, and you know, and kind of funny. And, and people's hearts are being drawn in, and they think this is a word from God. Hearing, but they're not actually hearing anything from God's word. He hasn't opened a biblical text yet. So when it comes time to finally getting around to the Bible... Um, what's he going to do? He's going to make the scriptures conform to the theology that he's already spun out in the introduction to the sermon. Mm -hmm. This is a subtle form of Bible twisting, but it's Bible twisting nonetheless, and it's extremely dangerous. Storm. If we have faced with the storm and it bows immediately, awesome! A kazoo storm, faith builder! And if we have a storm that's bigger, we need kazoo storm. Yeah. Have you sat down to categorize the storms in your life? Is this a kazoo or a piano storm? Remember, oh, I am becoming a concert piano storm conqueror. I am learning to I'm learning and growing in operative authority. Operative authority. What is he talking? Yeah, he's a dominionist, by the way. N.A.R. type. This is a season when, as the church, it's important for us to arise and shine. There are storms going on in the earth. And you know what? You are a storm, not just a storm chaser. You are a storm conqueror. And we need... Yeah, there's storms in the earth right now. And have you arisen to conquer your kazoo and piano storms yet? Church to arise in victory. Now, if you have your Bibles, turn to Mark 4. All right. So now we finally get to the Bible. And like I said, he's not going to even come close to rightly handling it. 
what he's going to have to do at this point is force the text into the mold that he's already crafted in the introduction to his sermon. And so there's no way, like not even close, there's no way possible for him to rightly handle God's word at this point because none of the theology that he's spewed in the opening of the sermon has anything to do with what the Bible really teaches or reveals. And so now he's he has the obligation of going into the Bible to make it look like, oh, it's, it teaches this. But watch what he does to the text. And uh, we'll, like I said, we'll point it out along the way. Here we, here we go again. Mark 4, because we have a great example in Mark 4 of Jesus mentoring his disciples and, of course, along with them, us, in exactly this. In mentoring us in that the, 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 the storms, the challenges, the tests and trials, they are not burdens. Even if they're challenging, they're not burdens. They're opportunities. Uh-huh. So Jesus in Mark 4 was mentoring his disciples on the important doctrine of taking control of an authority over storms in our life? Hmm. Now, let's take a look at the text without Robert Hodgkins, and then we'll let him spew. Uh, Mark chapter 4, verse 35, here's what it says. On that day when evening had come, Jesus said to them, let us go across to the other side. The other side of the Sea of Galilee is what he was referring to. And leaving the crowd, they took him with them in the boat, just as he was, and other boats were with him. And a great windstorm arose, and the waves were breaking into the boat, so that the boat was already filling. But he was in the stern, asleep on the cushion. They woke him and said to him, Teacher, do you not care that we are perishing? And he awoke, and he rebuked the wind, and he said to the sea, Peace, be still. And the wind ceased, and there was great calm. And he said to them, why are you so afraid? Have you still no faith? And they were filled with great fear, and they said to one another, who then is this that even the wind and the sea obey him? Now, real quick here, what's the takeaway when you just read it by itself? Well, clearly the disciples were impressed with Jesus. And you'll note here, there was no call for it from Jesus. Now, as I've calmed the storm, so calm the storms in your life. No, this was an actual real storm. This was not an allegorical storm. So already we have a problem because Robert Hodgkin is allegorizing the text and turning it into an allegorical storm. Yeah, yeah, but it was a real storm. Number two... There's nothing in the text that shows that Jesus was mentoring his disciples on how to master a particular technique in storm conquering. No, the punchline of the text itself is that they were filled with great fear, and they said to one another, who then is this? Okay, who is this Jesus fellow? Why is it that the wind and the sea are obeying him as if he were the creator? That's the gist of what's going on here. Um, and so we got a real problem in that uh, already in the setup to this text that he's going to give us out of context, we know that he's going to allegorize the storm. And number two, he's going to turn this into a prescriptive text 
and he's already made made it clear that that's what he thinks this is that that this was a mentoring moment on the part of Jesus where he was mentoring his disciples on how to do this thing about conquering storms and so we too are being mentored in the technique uh-huh but that's not what this is this is a descriptive text not a prescriptive text unless the prescription is note this to believe that Jesus is God and to trust and have faith in him. Uh Uh-huh. That's really the prescription that's implied in the text, but not a prescription to follow this technique, see this pattern, and then conquer the allegorical storms in your life. So what I want to do is I want to read through this section of Scripture, and then we're going to unpack it. Starting in verse 35 through 41. On that day when the evening came, he said to them, Let us go over to the other side. Leaving the crowd, they took him along with them in the boat, just as he was and other boats were with him. And there arose a fierce gale of wind, and the waves were breaking over the boat so much that the boat was already filling up. Jesus himself was in the stern, asleep on the cushion. And they woke him and said to him, Teacher, do you not care that we are perishing? And he got up. And rebuked the wind and said to the sea, Hush, be still. And the wind died down and it became perfectly calm. And he said to them, Why are you afraid? Do you still have no faith? They became very much afraid and said one another, Who then is this that even the wind and the sea obey him? So what- so he read out the text. The punchline's there. Who is this fellow? And This is very early in the Gospel of Mark, as the historical narrative unfolds, it's relatively early in Jesus's ministry, and the disciples don't yet understand who they're dealing with. And the Gospel of Mark is written so that you would believe that he's the Christ, the Son of God, and by believing, have life in his name. This is the Gospel of Jesus Christ that is being proclaimed. Uh-huh. But watch what Robert Hodgkins does next see here is that Jesus and the disciples encounter a storm and they respond in very different ways. Put it succinctly, the disciples kind of show us what not to do (laughs) and Jesus shows us what to do. Remember, Wow. So Jesus was modeling for the disciples how to conquer storms. No, that's not what was going on there. He's not only Messiah, he's model. He not only brings us back into relationship with our Heavenly Father, but his entire time in the earth, he was modeling to us what that restored relationship looks like. Because he was not only coming and saying, I am, I am God and I am fulfilling your half of the covenant as man, fully connected to God for you, but in that covenant that I'm bringing you into, that, I'm, uh, that, I, uh, that I've fulfilled for you, you are restored. And remember, he's the firstborn of many sons. So he says in John 14, 12, everything that I've done, verily, verily, I say to you, the works that I have done, so shall you do, and even greater works you shall do. So he is always modeling to us what it looks like. Oh, man. No. Again, just referencing that text, which is not a, is not a cross-reference here, and then saying, see, this means that Jesus is modeling for us how to slay storms and stuff like that. Man, is this a twisting of Scripture like you wouldn't believe. 
to walk with God in the earth. And here we see this great example. So let's go through this passage, sort of a scripture at a time, and see what we can glean from it. We start with, On that day, when evening came, he said to them, let us go over to the other side. So we start with the disciples getting the word of the Lord. The disciples getting a promise from God and the word of the Lord. Jesus is saying to them, hey guys, we're going to the other side. Hey guys, I'm bringing you into a new land, a new territory. Hey guys, I'm bringing you to the next phase of your ministry. They have a promise from God. How? No, Jesus actually wasn't saying that you love getting a promise from god don't you love the prophetic don't you love being reminded who god is and what he has for us well that's what jesus is doing he's saying i've got a promise for you we're going to the other side wow i think you get the idea i mean talk about a complete botching of god's word uh, in an in an extremely dangerous and narcissistic way altogether this is not a sound handling of Scripture. There is not a single solid hermeneutics text that would teach anybody to do this with Scripture. This is, wow, just a mess. And I think you get the idea. And this it's this narcissistic approach, you know, to just ignore what the text itself is pointing to. It's actually who it's pointing to. It's pointing to Jesus. And this wasn't an allegorical storm, and this is not a prescriptive text to teach you how to conquer storms. This is a descriptive text that challenges us to believe that Jesus is none other than God in human flesh, and for us to trust and have faith in him and what he has done for us. Wow, I think you get the idea. All right, moving along, we're going to do a money-grubbing televangelist update, so let's do this. I've got 90,000 pounds in my pajamas. I've got 40,000 French francs in my fridge. I've got lots of lovely lira, now the Deutschmark's getting dearer, and my dollar bills would buy the Brooklyn Bridge. There is nothing quite as wonderful as money. There is nothing quite as beautiful as cash. Some people say it's folly, but I'd rather have the lolly. With money you can make a splash. There is nothing quite as wonderful as money. Money, 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 money. There's nothing like a newly minted pound. Money, 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 money. Everyone must anger for the butchness of a banker. It's accountancy that makes the world go round, 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 you round, round. You can keep round. your Marxist ways, but it's only just a phase. For it's money, money, money makes the world go round. Money, 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 money. All right, so we're heading over to the uh, Potter's house as we listen to T.D. Jakes explaining to us the all-important doctrine of watering the seed. Uh And we're going to note how he totally botches and mangles God's word along the way. But for the introduction for this segment, we're going to be listening to his daughter. Yeah, one of the people he's let preach at his church, got to put that in air quotes, um, as she explains to us the theology that we're going to hear in this all-important message about watering the seed. Uh, Here's T.D. Jakes' daughter to introduce T.D. Jakes. Everything starts with a seed and has been watered in order to grow. 
I'm Cora Jakes Coleman, and you are watching The Potter's Touch. Bishop has a message today that will challenge your thinking when it comes to the importance of your seed and what it takes to cultivate your dreams and visions. What? <laughs> my seed and what it takes to cultivate my dreams and visions. No, that couldn't possibly be narcissistic nonsense at all, could it? Let's join him for today's message. Indeed, let's, yeah. Water the seeds. Yes, water. Let's, let's, let's go put some water on some seeds. Yeah. It is God's will for you to have increase. Nobody teaches. First sentence. First sentence. It is God's will for you to have increase. Oh, man. Jesus says, deny yourself, take up your cross, and follow him. T.D. Jake says, it's God's will for you to have increase. And he's not talking about, you know, new heavens, new earth, life everlasting. He's talking about here and now. See, God wants you to have increase. Okay. So how do I get it? You, without the hope of you having increase, it is not just the learning, the, the, the digesting of the information that is important. It, that's one element of it. But if you don't know what to do with the information, what good is it? Right. Yeah. So, so I need the information, but I need to know what to do with it. So what, what is the information I need so that I can have the increase that God wants me to have? I mean, don't you think if God wanted me to have increase... That God being all powerful could just, you know, increase me. I can tell you how to lose weight. You can understand how to lose weight. You can write books about losing weight. But if you don't do what I'm telling, it won't work. What good is it to know it if you don't do it? So faith without works is. Oh, <laughs> oh man. So James 2.20, out of context, faith without works is dead, apparently means that, you know, God wants to increase you, but faith without works is dead. So you need to have, put your faith into practice so that you can have the increase. No, that's not what James was talking about in James 2. Come on, somebody. Are you with me? No. So Apollos, now, now, now he begins to approach this because he wants us to understand it is God that gives the increase. A hooray for those who plan. And hooray for those who water. But it is God that gives the increase. Yeah, obviously quoting or referencing 1 Corinthians chapter 3 out of context. Um, by the way, the, this uh, this lesson, uh, the, the actual chapter, 1 Corinthians chapter 3, that will be coming up in a future installment of uh, Fighting for the Faith on our Wednesday episode, our light episode. Um, I'll actually be exegeting the entire chapter uh, but it's not this week. It'll probably be either the, the following week or the week after, just by way of heads up. But you must understand that to be planted is destiny concealed. <laughs> to be planted is destiny concealed. It sounds so pious, doesn't it? Yeah, uh, you know. Uh, not to be confused with being buried. Yeah, that's destiny denied or something like that. To be planted is destiny concealed. To have increase is destiny revealed. 
Uh-huh. Do you have a biblical text for this? I'd really like to see this taught in God's word in context. You're filling these people's heads with nonsense so that you can continue to live an opulent lifestyle. So when you plant a seed, you don't plant it as if the planting were the final destination. You plant it and you can't see it anymore. Its destiny is concealed. I just don't seem to remember this when I was in kindergarten. Yeah, now let me explain what I mean here. Uh, in kindergarten, I have a very uh, profound and vivid memory of um, my uh, my kindergarten teacher teaching us how plants grow from seeds, and we planted pumpkin seeds. Uh huh. Yeah, in little styrofoam cups. Yep, we did, and it even had, my cup had my name on it. It said Chris. And, um, and so we put some potting soil into the little styrofoam cup. Indeed we did. And then we took a pumpkin seed and put it in the, in the little cup in the soil. And, uh, and, w- and then we watered it a little bit every day. And, uh, and then wouldn't, you know, it was like magic, you know, that, uh, you know, up popped, you know, these two little leaves and it was so cute. And then this thing started growing and, you know, sent out a vine. It was amazing. And I really have a profound memory. I was hoping at that time that, you know, we were going to get pumpkins. And then my mom informed me that we would have to plant it in the ground and water it, you know, as it grew because it was going to get too big to actually make a pumpkin from the styrofoam cup. But when my teacher, you know, had us plant those pumpkin seeds, she didn't say, now watch, folks. Watch, you little students, you little kindergarten kids. Um, This this pumpkin seed has an amazing destiny. And it really didn't because, um, you know, it actually died on on our balcony. But, you know... (laughs) Yeah, it's it's sad. You know, the, the, the little pumpkin... Vine didn't really make it very long, but anyway, uh, so uh, you know she didn't say. Now watch this is this is this uh, this pumpkin seed has a destiny. I'm going to put it in the ground. I can put it in this little cup, and oh, there we go. We've covered its destiny, and it's hiding now. But watch when it pops up. Boop! There it is. You can see its destiny is increasing, and its destiny revealed. No, didn't get that. So apparently, we're now adding some weird spiritual allegorical meaning to a seed, and it's germination process in the hopes that ultimately it will become a stalk or or, of corn or an apple tree or whatever it was you planted and in between the destiny concealed and the destiny revealed is something we call watering yeah what text are you exegeting again oh yeah he's not and i thought as dynamic as the text may be which text would that be? To to grapple with the notion of being planted. Grapple with it. Yeah, we gotta grapple with the notion of being planted. I, I haven't grappled with that notion yet. Maybe you can help me grapple with it by actually pointing me to where the Bible teaches this. And to grapple with the notion of having increase seems totally irrelevant if we don't stop by the station of watering. Um, again, this is weird. Because watering is the last step 
before increase. Uh huh. So we need to water so that we can experience increase. And so, all right, so apparently this is some very practical sermon here going on here. So we're going to learn the important step of watering. So how exactly do I water my destiny? Hmm, what do I use for watering my destiny? If I used real water, um, I would just get wet. Mm -hmm. It is the transition point between what is concealed and what is revealed. And without the benefit of watering, the, the, the destiny will die in the ground. Never. Yeah, oh, man, I had no idea. See, maybe that's what happened to me. I mean, my destiny died in the ground because I forgot to water it. Here, I, I probably would have been the president of the United States. I mean, but I forgot to water my destiny, you know. Its potential simply because it has never been watered. And I thought I would ask you this morning, have you ever been watered? <laughs> well, come to think of it, you know, somebody did throw water balloons at me on several occasions when I was growing up. Um, so, yeah, I would say, yeah, I think I've been watered and I do bathe daily. Mm hmm. At least once. Um, so, yeah, my wife insists on it. But um, so technically, I'm getting watered every day. <laughs> now, I'm gonna note, we're going to note the reaction to the question. Have you ever been watered? Listen to the reaction to this absurd question that uh, T.D. Jakes has asked the people there at the Potter's house. Some people are literally on their feet. They are on their feet standing as if he has said something so amazing that, oh my goodness, my life is going to change because T.D. Jakes has asked if I've ever been watered. And it doesn't mean anything. He's not even exegeting a biblical text. Now, you, you must understand this whole notion of agriculturalism is something that is a common theme with God from the very beginning of the book of Genesis when God first creates uh, every... So the theme of agriculturalism... What? Everything the Bible says in Genesis 1 and 2, he created it with the seed inside of itself. And, and God... <laughs> Yeah, talking about how God actually created seed-bearing plants and trees um, <laughs> does not reveal to us some pattern of agriculturalism that then has to do with my destiny and the fact that God wants to increase me if I will get watered. He ah! was saving himself from work because had he not created the seed inside of every living thing, he would have had to come down every time we wanted more and say, let there be. But because he said, let there be the first time and created destiny in the seed of every living thing, he never has to create again. We procreate. Okay, my brain is hurting. Okay, so... So now you've switched to, from agriculturalism to procreation, and you're asking the question of whether or not I've been watered? I... Ah! <laughs> this is so absurd. 
Why is anybody listening to this man? He's not saying anything. It, it's it's not biblical. It's not lucid. It, it it's just gobbledygook. Huh. Go grab a drink of water. <laughs> anyway, I'm gonna leave TD Jakes there before I experience spontaneous human combustion. But I think you get the point that he noticed he spewed all of his theology ahead of time before he ever got to a biblical text. Oh, man, what a mess. All right, we're up on our second break. If you'd like to email me regarding anything you've heard on this edition or any previous editions of Fighting for the Faith, you can do so. My email address is talkback at fightingforthefaith.com or you can subscribe on Facebook, facebook.com forward slash Christian. Follow me on Twitter. My name there at Pirate Christian. Quick break. When we come back, we're heading down to Arise Church in uh, New Zealand as John Cameron's going to explain to us the anatomy of destiny. This involves seeds. Stay tuned. Don't want to miss it. We'll be right back. We don't need to rethink Christianity. We need to rediscover it. You're listening to Fighting for the Faith. Pirate Christian Radio Theater presents Death of a Salesman. Are ye a salesman? Why, yes, I am. Can I interest you in some... You're listening to Pirate Christian Radio. We here at Pirate Christian Radio understand the importance of outreach ministries and what they can provide for the people they serve. We've recently discovered a small charity organization called Kenyan Christian Arts. This group has come together to craft and sell unique handmade Christian art locally and around the world to provide the funds necessary to feed, medicate, and educate orphan children in Kenya. Additionally, a portion of the proceeds from every purchase is donated to the FredEx International Foundation to help the poor and orphan children all over western Kenya. Please visit KenyanChristianArts.com and take a look at their selection of hand-carved soapstone goods. Their selection includes a variety of pieces such as crosses, vases, nativity sets, and even mugs. Remember, that's KenyanChristianArts.com. Thank you. Hi, Chris Rosebro here to talk about our longtime featured advertiser, Cheapo Air. Doesn't matter if you're traveling for business reasons or for pleasure. Doesn't matter if you're traveling within the United States or abroad. Cheapo Air is the place for you to save literally hundreds of dollars on your airfare, hotel rooms, and rental cars. Visit our website, fightingforthefaith.com. On the side of our website, you'll see our ad banners. Look at the ad banner for Cheapo Air and look on it. There's a promo code. Write the promo code down, click on the ad banner, and then book your travel at the Cheapo Air website, and you'll have the opportunity to enter that promo code for additional savings. Again, fightingforthefaith.com. Write down the promo code, click on the ad banner, and save money on your airfare, hotel rooms, and rental cars today. All right, we're back. Hour number two of Fighting for the Faith sermon review time.
these people nowadays, they just love having their ears tickled. One thing they wouldn't tolerate is actual sound biblical teaching. We won't get any of that from John Cameron, but let's uh, set this up properly here. Hold on. Good, the bad, the the ugly. We we review it all here at Fighting for the Faith, especially the ugly. <laughs> Today's sermon, I don't know what this thing is, comes to us via Arise Church in uh, New Zealand. John Cameron, the vision casting leader, presiding. Name of the message we're going to be listening to is Anatomy of Destiny. That's right, and this is going to take descriptive texts and turn them into prescriptions and do the same kind of nonsensical g- weirdness that we've already heard from everybody on today's episode of Fighting for the Faith. So let me go ahead and back off on the music. Let's just get right to it. Here's Anatomy of Destiny Part 2 from John Cameron. Here we go. I'm going to start reading today in verse 5. Whatever Saul asked David to do, David did it successfully. This is 1 Samuel chapter 18, verses 5 through 9. I just think that's a great thing for people to read today. When you're asked to do something, do it well. So Saul made him a commander over the men of war. Why? Because he did it well. An appointment that was welcomed by the people and Saul's officers alike. Little workplace tip. If you want a promotion, then ask yourself, would other people be happy if you got a promotion? Would- Really? First Samuel 18 is about what's necessary for me to be able to get a promotion? <clears throat> yeah, I got to think about this, you know. Um, I, I think recently, it may not have been that long ago, I did promote myself. See, I went from captain to admiral, but I'm not requiring anybody to actually call me admiral. Um, okay, good to know. I mean, so I should ask, I mean, are, are you guys in favor of my promotion to admiral if pirate Christian radio? I like to be on your team. And if not, then maybe you should start working on that. All right. Verse six, because it's more positive. When the victorious Israelite army was returning home after David had killed the Philistine, women from all the towns of Israel came out to meet King Saul. They danced and sang for joy with tambourines and cymbals. This was their song. Saul has killed his thousands and David his ten thousands. This made Saul very angry. What's this, he asked. They credit David with ten thousands and me with only thousands. Next, they'll be making him their king. So from that time on, Saul kept a jealous eye on David. Then chapter 19 and verse 1. Now, Saul urged his servants and his son, Jonathan, to assassinate David. We started the series like... Um, um, hmm. Yeah, he's not actually working his way through the book of 1 Samuel. Um, and boy, that was weirdly out of context. 
I mean, I'm curious to, you know, immediately if I were not somebody who knew these biblical texts well, I would want to know what's the backstory here. I'd want the pastor to actually go back and, like, kind of sort this all out because this is fairly early in uh, David's career. He's just recently made the appearance on the scene um, in, uh, in the book itself. So, you know, you can go back and kind of sort this out pretty handily, pretty easily. But I don't think that's what um, John Cameron's up to. Week with this thought that David is the most unlikely king. When you think about David and you think about his journey, he was really, in many ways, we could call him the lunt, the runt of the litter. He was the youngest of eight children born to Jesse. Just um, David, the unlikely king, the runt of the litter. Okay, now see, this is where you see. <laughs> I was telling you, you know, it's like, hey, we better get a little bit of backstory on uh, on David. Um, and so let's take a look at the text itself that gives us the backstory of David. And it's really not all that long. Uh, it's in 1 Samuel chapter 16, 1 Samuel 16. And just so you know, I mean, Saul was king of Israel and Saul disobeyed God and didn't do what he was supposed to do. And so God rejected him as king. And so 1 Samuel 16 picks up with you know where God has rejected Saul. And uh, the prophet Samuel is kind of, well, he, he's not happy. He's grieving the fact that Saul has been rejected by God. And here's what it says in 1 Samuel 16, verse 1. Yahweh said to Samuel, how long will you grieve over Saul since I have rejected him from being king over Israel? Fill your horn with oil, go, I will send you to Jesse, the Bethlehemite, for I have provided for myself a king among his sons. Samuel said, well, how can I go? If Saul hears it, he'll kill me. And Yahweh said, take a heifer with you and say, I have come to sacrifice to, the, to Yahweh and invite Jesse to the sacrifice. I'll show you what you shall do. You shall anoint for me him whom I declare to you. All right, Samuel did what the Lord commanded and came to Bethlehem. And uh, the elders of the city came to meet him, trembling, and said, Do you come peaceably? And he said, Peaceably, I have come to sacrifice to Yahweh. So consecrate yourselves. Come with me to the sacrifice. And, and he consecrated Jesse and his sons and invited them to the sacrifice. And when they came, he looked on Eliab and thought, Surely the Lord's anointed is before him. But Yahweh said to Samuel, Do not look on his appearance or on the height of his stature, because I have rejected him. For the Lord does not see as man sees. Man looks on the outward appearance, but Yahweh looks on the heart. So then Jesse called Abinadab and made him pass before Samuel, and he said, Neither has Yahweh chosen this one. And then Jesse made Shammah pass by, and he said, Neither has Yahweh chosen this one. And Jesse made seven of his sons pass before Samuel, and Samuel said to Jesse, Yahweh has not chosen these. And then Samuel said to Jesse, Are all of your sons here? And he said, Well, there remains the youngest, but behold, he's keeping the sheep. And Samuel said to Jesse, Send and get him, for we'll not sit down until he comes here. And so he sent and brought him in, and then he was ruddy, and he had beautiful eyes, and he was handsome. That's what the text says. It says that he was ruddy, had beautiful eyes, and he was handsome. 
And the Lord said, Arise, anoint him, for this is he. And then Samuel took the horn of oil, anointed him in the midst of his brothers, and the Spirit of the Lord rushed upon David from that day forward, and Samuel rose up and went to Ramah. So there's the backstory, and uh, I think it's fascinating. That's just a couple of chapters previous to where it is that uh, John Cameron has parachuted in here. So, um, okay, so he's giving us some of the backstory of David. Let's see how accurately he's able to do that. Had one wife who gave him seven children, and they were all tall, all physically impressive. They were all olive skinned, like your typical Israelite person. We all covet their skin coloring, and I'm sure girls would love to have their long, long hair. And then along comes little David, who was born to a different mother, and the Bible just politely describes David as ruddy. Basically meaning that all his brothers tanned in the summer and David went white, pink, fluoro pink. That's, that's the family that I'm part of. I feel like David's my brother. Yeah, um, you know, I, I don't recall. Maybe I'm wrong on this, but I don't recall the Bible, the Bible saying that David had a different mother than his brothers. Maybe I just have forgotten a particular text that I've read, but I'm not familiar with that text. From another mother. He, he was not only the runt of the litter, he wasn't tall and they were. He was, he was born to a different woman and, and they all had the same mum. He was, he, was, he was rejected by his brothers and he was an embarrassment to his father. And when- yeah, where does it say that he was an embarrassment to his father? It didn't say that in what I read out in 1 Samuel 16. Holy prophet Samuel came to meet Jesse and all of his sons. Jesse conveniently left one out. David is just forgotten about, left out in the back paddock, looking after the sheep. Yet that one rejected and neglected kid is the one that God chose to be shepherd over his people Israel. Now, uh, up to this point, I mean, some of this history seems a little sketchy, Um, but he's Focusing us on David, um, the shepherd of his people Israel. And I mean, David is one of the pillar men in the Old Testament who in type and shadow points us to Jesus Christ. This is most certainly true. Uh, and you can almost hear, you know, the stone that the builders has re- have rejected has become the cornerstone. But I'm not talking about David. I'm talking about Christ. So um I'm I'm I think the details of his history here um sketchy dodgy and and I guess the reason why he was able to tell the story the way he did is cuz he wasn't actually reading the biblical text that tells us about David otherwise some of the things he said here he wouldn't have been able to say if he had read out 1 Samuel 16 about you, but I'm tremendously encouraged about that, that it doesn't matter my origin or where I came from or what my family background might have been like or what people might have said about me or the way that I have perceived me. It only matters what God thinks about me. And the- um, uh, <laughs> uh, you're messing this up here. Um, King David is not a type and shadow of you. Nope. Um <laughs> He's not a type and shadow of me either. Uh, in fact, nobody in New Zealand today, nobody in America today, nobody in Australia. You see, David is not a type and shadow of us. David's a type and shadow of Jesus. 
and you know, Jesus is going to sit on the throne of David forever. Yeah, like I said, he's messing this story up badly. It only matters what God thinks about me. And the more I can find that out, the better my life is going to be. And God chose David. He made him the one that was chosen. And we looked at the story last week. Right. God chose David, not me. About how the first stage of destiny is called discovery. Discovery. That's what? <laughs> so just like God chose David, God chose you. And, and the first stage of destiny is discovery. Oh, my word. This is a mess first stage in the anatomy of destiny when the prophet Samuel anointed David with oil and declared him to be a king and suddenly in David's heart purpose was awakened and I pray that for every suddenly purpose was awakened oh man this isn't that long of a sermon I feel like I'm not going to be able to get through this without exploding and in this service today, you would understand this bold declaration that when you come to follow Jesus, you are awakened immediately that your life has a purpose, that you are anointed by God. You are not an ordinary person. You are designated by God for a unique purpose. God's hand is all over your life. You are destined to change the world. No, I am not. Uh, yeah, nowhere is does it say in Scripture that when you become a Christian, you are destined to change the world. Oh, boy, this is just narcissism on steroids. Believe that about yourself. I think you should just give God a little bit of praise. That's worthy of <laughs> Right, if you believe that, not about Jesus, about yourself. Yeah, it's all about me. Right. Oh, it's a beautiful moment. He went into discovery. And then last Sunday night, we looked at an amazing story where David descended down into the Valley of Elah, how he took on the giant Goliath and how for David, his destiny truly began. And if you're looking for destiny in your life, let me give you one simple key about how you can find it. Find a problem that you believe that you can solve. And probably... <laughs> Where in the Bible does it say you will find your destiny by pro finding a problem that you think you can solve? See, that's how you find your density. Mm -hmm. Right there, you found the beginning of your destiny. David looked at Goliath and he said, I can solve this problem. Everybody else was intimidated by it. David said, I am graced for it. And because he found a problem. David said, I'm graced for this problem. Where did David say that? He could solve. He'd stepped into his destiny that day. That's how, that's a calling, by the way. That's a, that's the awakening of God's purpose is when you discover that amazing truth. And when our story left off last week, David is on an all time high. I mean, literally, he has just slain the giant Goliath. He's won a great victory for the nation of Israel. The world is his oyster. His, his fa himself and his whole family are now exempt from taxes. Now, I'm sure that changed the family relationship a whole lot. I mean, if suddenly your little half-brother becomes the one who gets you out of having to pay any taxes for the rest of your life, he goes from like the one you're embarrassed about to your favorite brother. Does anyone know what I'm talking about? 
I mean, it's just an amazing moment. I, I, I bet that this would have changed everything. He, he was going to marry the king's daughter. The king is his friend. He was brought close to the king. He rides on the king's chariot with him. He leads the, the armies of Israel into battle. The king's son becomes his best friend. For things, things for David, just they couldn't possibly have got any better. And David, who's just a pure-hearted kid, who's only ever sought to serve and to love God, I'm sure for David, he was just expecting, this is the beginning of what's going to be the rest of my life. The season of rejection is over. The da- Yeah, again, where does David uh, muse about the fact that, well, you know, the season of rejection is over in his life? And In fact, where does D- David talk about that season of rejection uh, you know, by his family, because apparently he was just a half-brother kind of thing. I, again, not familiar with these texts. The pain in my past, and everything is going to go well for me from this moment on. And I, Yeah, when did he say that? As many people feel like that. As God begins to breathe upon their lives, as good things begin to happen, it's easy to start to think about your destiny and to think about the journey that God's got you on and begin to presume that amazing things are going to be the future that, that you're going to get to walk into. But friends, if we're going to do this series well, it would not do anybody any justice if we were to leave the story there. If we were just to hoop and holler and have one of those series where we just walk out of here going, I have a destiny, but we actually don't really talk about what destiny looks like, then maybe you might quit along the journey if you don't understand that you cannot separate difficult. Oh, yeah. You, you don't want a bunch of destiny quitters. I mean, oh, that would be really bad. From destiny. You just can't. If you want to do something great for God with your life, or if you want to just fulfill the purpose God has for you, the anatomy of destiny is something that we've got to read beyond the good bits in David's journey and get down to the nitty gritty because we start to discover about David that no sooner had he been through discovery and the awakening of destiny that David entered into a very challenging season. The Bible tells us that one day Saul and David are making their way back into Israel, into Jerusalem, when the woman come out and they start singing a song. Man, if you want to just make things crazy, get the woman singing songs. And so they're singing about Saul and they're saying, Saul has slain his thousands, but David his tens of thousands. Wow. So for Saul, when he hears that accolade given to David, something within him is just, you know, unsettled. He is a deeply insecure leader. And if you want a sign of whether security or insecurity is dominating your life, then just look at what you do with praise. There's no, no better litmus test. Am I insecure or not? If you give praise away like crazy, there's probably a good sign that you're a secure person. But if you're really troubled. <laughs> so what is this? Is this like psychological group therapy? Are, are you insecure? <laughs> oh, man. Somebody else gets a little bit of credit or you don't want to transfer it to somebody else. Then insecurity is probably there. And Saul was a deeply insecure leader because Saul is so full of that insecurity. When he hears that song, his whole attitude towards David changes. He withdraws. He pulls back from David. He's, he's still got David and his team. 
But he's no longer looking for David to do well. He wants David to do bad. He's not setting David up for good things. He does his utmost to set David up for bad. Check this out. He would still send David out into battle, but he would like halve the number of soldiers and increase the size of the opponent, hoping that David... And How did Saul increase the size of his opponents? Did he have some kind of a pact with his opponents? Hello, the soldiers that were with him were just collateral damage, that they would die in battle so that Saul would be free from the threat of David. And I want you to know... Now, it's true that Saul was trying to have David killed. I mean, no doubt about it. The scriptures are very clear on this. Why aren't you just reading the text and exegeting it for us along the way? This is a great encouragement for you and me because I reckon there are some people out there who just feel like the odds are stacked against you. People are making it difficult for you. Maybe you've even got a boss that's just really against you in your career pathway and you're just feeling like... (laughs) Yeah, who's the Saul at your work? Because everybody knows you're David, you know is bad. I want you to know that there is not only the eyes of people around you who see your situation, the eyes of the Lord see you. And the Bible says that it doesn't matter what kind of situation was thrown at David. He just kept winning. Why? Because greater is he that is in you, my friend, than he that is in the world. Right. So if you have a Saul at work, don't worry, he won't kill you because greater is he who is in you. Yeah, this is sloganized Christianity. This isn't even biblical doctrine. And this ends up making promises for God that he hasn't actually made for you. And if you believe it, give God some praise, no matter what situation's coming your way. And as this dynamic keeps taking place, two things happen. Saul becomes increasingly insecure. And David becomes more and more popular. Yeah, have you considered the fact that that scriptures actually talk about God's punishment of Saul and how he was tormented by a spirit. Yeah, you know, I mean, that kind of comes into play regarding Saul's idolatry and uh, rebellion against God. Uh, Yeah, it's weird. All of those details just go by the wayside. And as David's popularity increases and as Saul's internal rage reaches a zenith, we read in our Bibles tonight the most amazing verse. This morning, as Saul issues an instruction to all of his inner circle, including his son, I want somebody to take a sword, a spear, or a javelin, and I want you to kill that son of Jesse named David. David's riding high. Right. I mean, and so, I mean, is there somebody out there who has allegorically, you know, ordered your death? Yeah, don't worry. Greater is he that is in you. You're going to come through just like David, and you're going to change the world. Because, yeah, that's what Christianity is all about. It's all about you. David's only ever done anything with a good motive. Everything that's happened to David until this moment, since since his discovery began, has been this just most meteoric journey. And in one crazy moment, David goes from national hero to nation's most wanted. He goes from having his face on the posters to his face on the most wanted posters. He goes from the man who is loved and the man who is valued 
to the man who is vilified and the man who is reviled. His wife has to lower him out the city wall in the dead of night to escape the people standing outside his door with instructions to kill him. He flees for his life and he is all alone. Yeah, again, why aren't you reading this from the Bible itself? Why are we getting the John Cameron Reader's Digest version with some sketchy historical details? And literally, this guy who's... Do you not have time to work through the biblical text? You know, the word of God is living and active, sharper than any double-edged sword. Uh, It's breathed out by God himself. I mean, don't you think that, uh, you know, preaching the text is an important thing for Christian pastors to be doing? Climbing this journey of destiny walks from walking in the light to now walking in the darkness. He goes from being together to being alone, accepted to rejected. And guys, we could read that and think, well, you know, wow, that's a bad day. But it wasn't a day. It wasn't even a week. It wasn't even a month. And listen, team, it wasn't even a year. David was on the run from Saul for one year, two years, three years, four, five, six, seven, eight long years. David lived with the threat of death hanging over him, was Saul pursuing him. Saul literally hunted him like he was a fox on a fox hunt. Saul sent armies out to destroy David. Saul said all kinds of evil and malicious things about him. People didn't want to be around David. They hurled insults at him. They said all kinds of horrible things and pointed the finger at David. And David went through the darkest, darkest season that potentially a person could ever go through. His earthly father had rejected him. Now his spiritual father has rejected him. And if um, was Saul his spiritual father? I, <laughs> yeah, this is like make up your own version of the story of David and we'll call it the, the truth kind of thing. This is just so weird. I'm going to talk about destiny. It would be remiss of us if we just didn't talk about this as part of the pathway of destiny. Because the truth is, guys, as we walk the pathway of destiny, you're going to walk through a season of discovery. You're going to know what it is to step into your destiny. And then, guys, let's just get it clear. Everybody's going to face a disaster. Right, yeah. See, apparently the story of David is is a model template for, you know, all the people who bravely want to change the world and and discover their destinies like David did. I, this is just narcissistic blather. Nothing I read in the Bible in any page of the scripture that makes me think that if I'm following the pathway God's got for me in my life, that everything for me in my life is going to go easy. Nothing in the Bible suggests that. And when we read and we study the anatomy of destiny, I think it is so important that we consider this. David had no instruction manual. He is just in this all alone. That's why David is so incredibly remarkable because the choices that he made and the journey that he walked, he did it without a reference point to look at. But you and I, we've got a luxury. Right. See, yeah, David, you know, he he like did it blind. Yeah. But thankfully, we, we have his template example that we can follow so we can know that we're on on track to changing the world the way David did. 
Because we can study David's life and we can study the full context of the Word of God and we can see... Yeah, I'd like to see you do that, actually, because so far you haven't really handled any text in context in the Word of God. No, like the exact opposite. Time and time again, it isn't about what's happening to you. It's about what's happening in you that is ultimately going to decide your destiny. In right, what's happening in the people there at uh, Arise Church is, uh, is self-centered, narcissistic nonsense rather than them being brought to penitent faith in Christ for the forgiveness of their sins. And, you know, the story of David being told in a way that it points to Christ, uh-huh, uh, which is really easy to do if you know your Bible. Uh, no, this is now all pointing to you and, you know, how important you are. And and you can know you're on the right track because you've experienced, you know, difficulties like David did. But that's not what this text is about. Do you believe that? And the unfortunate truth is that disasters are part of destiny. They just are. And in the journey we're making in our lives, I think it's very important that everybody in this room knows this. Not every step in your journey is going to make sense. Not every day are you going to wake up and say, wow, this really is logical. There's no person who's ever going to walk the journey of destiny in their lives and think this is exactly what should be happening to me. No. Sometimes the worst things happen to the best of people. You can't avoid it. Uh, the the worst things happened to the best of people. Yeah, the worst thing happened to Jesus, and he was perfectly sinless. When bad things happen to us, it's not because we're good people suffering bad things. It's because we're sinners. You don't want to amen that, but it's true. Let me give you three really encouraging scriptures today. Hebrews chapter two, verse ten. This is talking about Jesus. It was it was fitting. Uh, sorry, in bringing many sons to glory, it was fitting that God, for whom and through everything exists, should make the author of their salvation perfect through suffering. Yay! <laughs> yeah, let's talk about that suffering. What, what did Jesus go through again, and why did he go through it? Was he also a model template of purpose? For us to follow, is that the reason why Jesus suffered? It's the same reason why David suffered. You know, because, hey, when you're going to change the world and you've discovered your destiny well, the devil's going to do everything he can to, to knock that out of you or something like that. If Jesus' destiny walk included some challenges, then guys, just let's get real. Jesus' destiny walk. <sighs> it's quite likely that we're following Jesus, so then we're probably going to... Follow Jesus. I mean, well, I've never seen that on a bumper sticker, but it's just it's just the truth. John sixteen thirty three. Here's another encouraging scripture. In this world, you will have tribulation or trouble. Yay! But take heart, I have overcome the world. Here's Acts fourteen twenty two. We must go through many hardships to enter the kingdom of God. Yeah, it doesn't say we must go through many hardships in the fulfillment of our destiny. Yeah, no, all these verses out of context. None of them actually are teaching this destiny doctrine that he's teaching. Hey! <laughs> Haven't seen too many people memorizing that scripture and putting it on their fridge door. <laughs> Strangely enough, I didn't see it on a poster in Mana Bookstore. But the truth is, guys, that if we're going to walk through the journey of destiny in our lives, we've got to be prepared for disasters. We've got to be prepared for hardships. 
We've actually got to be prepared for tribulation. (laughs) You know, if I was just to be honest with you today, can I just tell you that last year was definitely the hardest year of my life. Hardest year of my life. Also probably the year that was the best year of my life. Like God did so many things in my life and looking back, I don't think I've ever seen in the journey of our church especially. He must be on the same destiny path that that David and Jesus were on. I mean, at least he practices what he preaches, you know. Miracles in one year than we saw in 2016, but I just want to be straight up with you today and say it was a year that challenged me more than any other year I've ever been through. More, more difficult moments, faced more pressure last year than I've ever known, never known such great spiritual attack as we faced last year as a church, never known so many challenges. It was hard. It was hard. I got hit by a car, guys. I mean, hello. I got new, new artwork on my forehead to show that, you know, I got a scar. I got, I got a shoulder that's saw right now, you know, like, I mean, it's just, it was a difficult and challenging year on just about every front that you can imagine. Yet the truth is that in that year, God did so much in me. And part of the fast that I've been on for the last 21 years, it's that days, it feels like 21 years, (laughs) straight up feels like 21 years, doesn't it? The truth is, yeah, I'm not looking at you Daniel fasters, that's just cheap. I'm looking at Christopher over here. The one faithful friend who would follow me into the valley. They're all like, yay, we get to eat meat tonight. That's this half of the front row. Chris and I are like, yay, we get to eat carrot juice. I'm teasing you guys because I'm jealous. Um, But part of this for me has been about saying, man, I need another level of spiritual victory for this next season. And I believe we're going to get that as a church. I believe we've got that as a church. There is an open heaven. The presence of God is amazing in our church right now. And this is going to be a year of miracles, unprecedented favor, and open doors in the mighty name of Jesus Christ. Mm. And what about the people who are going to get terminal illnesses this year in your church? What about the people who you know, their marriage completely falls apart and their spouse files for divorce or they lose a child to an illness. What about those people? You have a large enough church that statistically speaking, that's what's ahead for some of the people in your church. You can't just blanket onesie, some kind of prophetic statement saying, oh, this is the year that we're all going to, you know, experience victory and all that kind of stuff. Man, setting these people up not only in narcissistic false doctrine, but setting them up by making promises for God that God never made. And when those promises don't come true, and this year turns out to be the year of calamity and disaster, their faith is going to utterly falter. But hey, team, we're walking in the favor of it, but let's just be clear. You've got to be willing to walk through difficult seasons to get there. You know what's interesting to note about David? He wrote the majority of his Psalms during that eight-year period. When you read the Psalms and you hear these like crazy lyrics, I mean, it sounds so prosaic, some of the Psalms, doesn't it? Like, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Like, yeah, let's turn that. Yeah, um, remember Jesus actually said those exact words while he was bleeding and dying for our sins on the cross. Lyrics and singing on Sunday morning. But the Psalms, actually, that's what they were. They were songs of worship. But they're also an insight into David's emotional world. In the book of Psalms, we get the journey of his life. In Sorry, in the book of 1 Samuel, we get the journey of his life. But in Psalms, we get the journey of his heart. 
And you begin to realize, he's like, why does everybody revile me? Why does everyone hate me? Why is all this bad things happening to me? And yet David learned potentially the great... Yeah, why don't you read out some of those psalms? I mean, again, you know, here it is Sunday morning and, you know, you're a pastor and the job of a pastor is to, you know, preach the word. You know, are, are, do you have something more important, more pressing that you should be doing at this moment? Why are you too busy to read out the scriptures? The volume of what he learned during the season that was the worst season in his life. And friends, you and I are going to face challenges and... Yeah, see, it's all about us, man. Yeah, okay. Greater the calling, the greater the opposition. But let's... <sighs> oh, man, the opposition in my life is ginormous. Oh, I must be a world changer. Oh, man, is this is just narcissism run amok. Let's get really clear about it and say, when bad things start happening to us, we tend to learn the most, the quickest. And if God's going to mature you and I and get us ready for the next things that he's got, then maybe he is going to allow us to go through disaster. He's not going to orchestrate it. He never does bad things to people. But he is going to sponsor you in the middle of your darkest seasons and speed up the journey of your growth in the worst hours of our lives. Amen? I mean, you know, yeah, exactly. For what am I growing here? And what, how are you defining Christian growth? Um, because you're defining Christian growth in a way that is really self-focused. Whereas true Christian sanctification is an ever-increasing denial of self, taking up your cross, following Christ, living and doing your good works for your neighbor's sake and not your own. Um, you know, you talk about being a living sacrifice, and these are ways in which Scripture talks about true Christian sanctification. You're describing a sanctification with an ever-increasing focus on me. <sighs> when Jillian and I moved to Wellington, we started looking for a house. We found this house, and it was just a radical answer to prayer. Ticked every single one of our boxes. It was kind of on the border of Wadestown and Wilton. And we bought this house, and I was so thankful. The house alone was an assurance that God was with me. Fulfillment of promises, a testimony for the miraculous. I yeah, if you hadn't have gotten that house, Christ never leaves or forsakes us. <sighs> I couldn't believe that I had it. I was literally crying for joy. I was so happy. We lived in that home and it was wonderful. And then one day I noticed a little bit of water leaking above the French door. And, and, and I knew what that might mean. So I had a test done and discovered that the home was what they call a leaky home. And they sent me a big report and it said that this home that we'd bought, you know, our first home needed $280,000 worth of repairs. I mean, I, I, my whole world came undone. I mean, my whole world came undone. Two days after I found that, I got the report on a Saturday night, which is great. Really put me in a good mood to preach on Sunday. It was awesome. Uh, and on Monday, I had lunch with a lady who uh, had been working with people who've been through the leaky homes crisis. And she was, she was tired. I could tell. And she began to describe for me what was going to happen. She said, it's not going to be over in a week, and it's not going to be over in a month, and it's not going to be over in a year. 
This is going to take you the next few years of your life to walk this thing through. And she began to describe how difficult this process was going to be. She said, I need to let you know because you better know straight up. I sat there in, in that, that, that cafe and my stomach was just convulsing. I mean, I was, I was shaking from head to toe. I've never been so nervous in all my life. And partway through the conversation, she grabbed a finger and she pointed across the table at me. and She said, there's something I need to tell you and you need to hear this. You are responsible for what happens next. No one's going to step in and save you. This is up to you. And I tell you what, when she said those words, it was just like something in the deep of my spirit just kicked. And I was like, this problem, you are so much bigger than me right now, but you can't get any bigger, but I can. And I'm going to debate every waking spare moment of my life. You can get bigger? You do understand that you have a God that is ginormous, all-powerful, almighty, omniscient. When we are weak, then he is strong. You're describing yourself as getting stronger when you should be describing yourself as getting weaker so that Christ can be stronger. Again, this is not Christian sanctification. This is upside down, inside out, backwards. This is satanic, what what we're hearing to getting bigger than this challenge. I'm going to press into God. I'm going to study. I'm going to learn. I'm going to pray. And you know what? We we walked this most amazing journey. However, the next nine months or so, we were able to find out a way to do the most awesome repair job on that house. We treated all the timber, fully reclad it with a cavity. Everything got fixed. An amazing intervention of God. We fixed the house. And during that time, the Wellington real estate market just went absolutely gangbusters. Gangbusters. So even though it cost us a lot of money to fix the house, the value of the house at the end exceeded the purchase price and that. And we sold the house a couple of years later at a serious profit and were able to buy the house that we live in now. And you know what? That was the darkest, most difficult season potentially that I've been in my life up. Yeah, which proves you have such a ginormous life changing world changing destiny you're right yeah that moment but i wouldn't trade it for one bit because as paul de Jong said to me partway through he said john if paul de Jong, and there's part of the problem going to have faith for millions of dollars. Doesn't it stand to reason God's going to start by expecting you to have faith for a few hundred thousand dollars? And man, I'm so grateful for that because in my life... Yeah, that just proves that Paul DeYoung doesn't know his Bible and he's a heretic. What does it mean I have faith for a million dollars? What are you talking about? We have to raise millions, millions for the advancement of this church. I mean, we've got the Arise Center. Then we just got to keep the things moving. Yeah, I think the body of Christ needs to pray that, that the Arise Church doesn't arise any further so that they can't wreak havoc and, and deceive more people around every location that we have for Arise. And I never once lose sleep ever over the finances of our church because I sought the Lord in my darkest hour and he delivered me from all of my fears. I want to tell you he's Jehovah Jireh. I want to tell you he's the Lord who provides. And if you'll walk through difficulty, you'll learn so much more about God. 
in your darkest days. Don't you ever quit on a challenge. Don't you ever give up in the face of adversity. Don't ever let the devil think that he's bigger than you because Jesus is in you and you're greater than every challenge that you face. Oh man, I love that. I love that. I love that. You know, the thing about it is, is that, is that um, uh, uh, when my son, Will, was about three years old, he uh, contracted an autoimmune disease called Guillain-Barre. And I was driving down the street in Melbourne, and my wife, Gillian, gives me a phone call. And she- Isn't it weird? We get more information in context about uh, John Cameron's life than we do about David or Jesus or any of the apostles. Because, again, he's, he's way too busy. To actually read out any texts, you know. His, uh, sweetheart, I, they think Will's got this disease and we're taking him to the hospital and have him tested. So I, I hang up the phone. I, I honestly don't know what that means. So I turned to my, the driver, the guy who's driving my car, and I said, have you ever heard of an autoimmune disease called Guillain-Barre? And he said, heard of it? I had it. When I was 12 years old, they carried me into a hospital I, I couldn't walk, nothing, nothing worked. I ended up being on a, a respirator and the respirator kept me breathing for a period of time. Eventually, my body started to recover, but they put braces on my legs and had to teach me how to walk at the age of 12, like Forrest Gump. I'd have physiotherapy for years of my life. He didn't know that I just found out my son had it. Well, I mean, you can imagine. It was just horrible. I went back to my hotel room and I just began to pray. It's like I, I can't get home till the next day, so I'm just going to pray. So I just started praying. I, I ran out of things to pray, so I started going through the Bible, and I found every passage of Scripture in the Bible that just talks about healing. And I spent hours just confessing every Scripture, declaring it over Will's life. Declaring. Declaring is not praying. I don't know what that is. Where are we told to declare these things? Declaring that God was going to heal him. I mean, I just—I was crazy. I don't care who was in the next room. You can, you can get stuff. I'm praying for my son. He's sick. You know, it's, it's gloves off, people. I'm going for it. About 3 o'clock in the morning, I'll never forget it. I got a picture in the dead of night. I saw Will. He was a teenager. He was tall. He was tanned. He was smiling. He had a big circle of friends around him. I could tell he was clearly popular. And in that moment, I knew that he was going to be healed. I text Jillian, 3 o'clock in the morning. I said, sweetheart, don't you worry about Will. He's going to be just fine. I got home the next morning. I put my hands on him, and I prayed for him. And it was like fire was in my hands. Well, you know, the nature of that disease, in fact, a boy, a friend of one of our Christchurch congregation has got it, and he's in hospital right now, and he's reached the stage where he is going to need a respirator. He can't talk. He can't move. He's in isolation. His parents can't even touch him. And, and the disease takes you down. It takes you down gradually. And Will had reached a certain place in the disease. He couldn't hold things and his legs were shaking. And I prayed for him that morning. And every piece of degradation in his body stopped that morning. Eight weeks later, he was fully recovered. The specialist said to me, he said, in all my years of medical practice, this is the mildest case of this disease I've ever seen. You're very lucky. And I knew I wasn't lucky. But you know what? I don't wish a sick kid on any person, any person. And I understand your pain. And I pray for every, every majorly sick kid in our church every day. But the truth is, for me, I'm so grateful that I went through that. 
I'm not grateful that Will got sick and that was not God's will. That's a fallen world that makes stuff like that happen. But I want to tell you, if you had asked me to pray for you for healing prior to my son being sick, I would have prayed for you. But in my head, I would have been, let's get Andy Kabbalah here. Let's get somebody with some real faith for healing because I'm a church builder, but I, I'm, I don't have that gift. But now I want you to know, I've seen many people healed since Will got healed. And we're going to pray at the end of the service. And I promise you, people are going to get healed today, right now. People are going to get healed. You're promising that people are going to get healed. Hmm. Okay. And here's the thing I want you to know. In the darkest moments of your life, never think for a moment that the problem's bigger than you or that God has somehow forgotten you. But know that in every trial and every diff Yeah, I, I'm pretty sure that most problems are bigger than I am, but they're not bigger than God. Mm -hmm. The one who waits upon the Lord will renew his strength. Yeah, it just read like Psalm verse chapters forty through forty-two. Yeah. In every situation that you face, the Lord that we worship is on our side. He is able. He is capable. He will bring you through. And man, we serve a God of miracle working power. And if you believe it, I want you to give God some real praise in this place right now. Yeah, because you're going to change the world. I mean, so, you know, any medical problem, that's just a setback. That's a setup for your changing of the world with your density thing right yeah come on come on in every tragedy that ever comes to you god's working something good every difficulty that you face when something awful begins to break out in your life begin to tell the devil you're intending this for harm but god's going to work it for good God's going to make everything that comes my way and he is going to use it for the good of me because I'm called according to his good purpose and he loves me. And so you're not going to take me. Yeah, it's true that God loves us, but Christ is actually taking us through death to the resurrection. Yeah. Devil, this circumstance is not going to be the end of me. God's going to lift me up. There is another page to this chapter. I am going to see victory and I will know God's destiny. And if you believe it, could you give God some praise in this place right now? All right. Yeah, yeah, big hoorah for, you know, the God who gives you destiny. <sighs> this is so tragic. Um, yeah, total twisting of God's word, a sketchy reimagining of the history regarding David, all about me rather than Christ. Yeah, people are being called to repentant faith in Christ for the forgiveness of their sins. They're not even being taught to pray. They're being taught to decree and declare. Uh, they are told to make themselves bigger than their problems rather than to rely on the God who already is bigger, way bigger than their problems. Hmm. Is this a mess? Oh, man. Oh, man. Can you just grab a seat for one second? I want to just give you so quickly. You can just write these down in your notes. Three lessons because i got to move on. We're done. Yeah, yeah, he got it quickly. I mean, you know, he see, this is probably he had no time to read the Bible. So you would get the quick. Let's get some three application points here. Series. And we're talking about different things next week. Three lessons you need to learn about disasters. Number one, never forget who's in charge when you're going through a disaster. Never forget who's in charge. If yeah, um, the way you were talking, um, I mean, 
it's a little ambiguous as to who you think is in charge. Is it me? I have to ask because that's kind of how you preach the sermon, or is it God? David learned anything in his disasters? He learned that God is always in charge. Okay, so at least we've got some clarity there. So at least it's God who's in charge and not me. The second thing you need to know about disasters is never allow a problem to change your person. Eight years of being pursued by Saul could have really made Saul a better guy. And I don't know, it made David a better guy. And I don't know what you're facing in your life, but the devil would love nothing for you, nothing better for you than to conform to the image of your problem rather than conforming to the image of Jesus. Yeah, I, can you tell me more about Jesus so I can figure out how to conform to him? Because I really didn't learn anything about Jesus here. David, having had an opportunity to kill Saul, took the hem of his garment, stood at the front of a cave, and he yelled at Saul, you can chase me down every day of my life, try to kill me every waking moment of your life, but I want you to know I will never touch you. Because from evil doers come evil deeds. Yeah, um, that monologue from David, where does it appear in the Bible? I'd like to see it in context, please. You know, again, weird, sketchy. I'm, I'm having a hard time remembering where that monologue took place. And to kill you would be evil. You killing me is evil. I'm not responsible for you. But I am responsible for me. Never change your character in the face of a challenge. The third thing is just remember, team, our God is always faithful. You know, when you read the Psalms, have you... Why do I feel like that's a setup for the closing praise song? Notice how many of the ones... Yeah, no, I forgot to note, the sappy music has already begun, and that's a, an emotional manipulation technique designed to create the false impression that the Holy Spirit's now... Falling on the audience as they get ready to make decisions to do something or other. They just start so depressed. But have you also noticed how they always finish so amazing? Let me give you Psalm 22. I want to close with this. This was written by David when Saul was hunting his life. And this psalm is now rich tapestry of quoted scripture that dotters our New Testament narrative speaking about Jesus on the cross. Oh, good. You've made a connection between David and Jesus with only so tiny little time left. He somehow made the connection, yeah. My God, my God, why have you abandoned me? Why are you so far away when I groan for help? Every day I call to you, my God, but you don't answer me. Every night you hear my voice, but I find no relief. Let there be some comfort for someone in the middle of a disaster today. Yet you are holy, enthroned on the praises of Israel. Our ancestors trusted in you, and you rescued them. You cried out, they cried out to you and were saved. They trusted in you and were never disgraced. But I'm a worm and not a man. I'm scorned and despised by all because of all the things Saul's saying about me. Everyone who sees me mocks me. They sneer and shake their heads saying, is this the one who relies on the Lord? Let the Lord save him. If the Lord loves him so much, let him rescue him. They yelled that at Jesus on the cross. Yeah, they did. This is really a prophecy about Christ. This is a messianic psalm. David writing under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit is literally prophesying Christ's suffering and passion on the cross for our sins. 
You brought me safely from my mother's. And by the way, this I think <laughs> here we are at the very end. We're racing towards the end of the sermon here with just minutes left. <laughs> In fact, just two left total. We're finally getting part of scripture read out for us. Are you supposed to read out the scripture at the beginning of the sermon and exegete it? And led me to trust in my mother's breast. I was thrust into your arms at my birth. You have been my God from the moment that I was born. And verse 19, he's starting to pick up his tempo. He says, Lord, do not stay far away. You are my strength. Come quickly to my aid. Save me from the sword. Spare my life from these dogs. Snatch me from the lion's jaw and from the horns of these wild oxen. I will proclaim. He starts now in this most awesome collections of I wills. He's like, everything looks like Saul's going to kill me. He's got an army. I've got a band of brothers. But this is what David starts saying. I will proclaim your name to my brothers and sisters. I will stand amongst your sacred assembly. Praise the Lord, all you who feel him. He has not ignored or belittled the suffering of the needy. He has not turned his back on them, but has listened to their cries. Verse 25, I will praise you in the great assembly. I will fulfill my vows in the presence of those who worship you. The poor will eat and be satisfied. All who seek the Lord will praise him. Their hearts will rejoice with everlasting joy. The whole earth will acknowledge the Lord and return to him. All the families of the nations will bow down before him. For royal power belongs to the Lord and he rules all the nations. Don't let moments of tragedy cause you to run away from God and to forget that he's always faithful. Come to him with confusion. Come to him with absolute perplexion. Tell him how difficult life is, but don't don't stop in his presence right there. Linger in his presence long enough that you get the pain off your chest, that you get the difficulties out there, and then you'll find that what's left in the reservoir of your spirit is a determination and a knowledge that God is not the God of your demise. God is the God of your blessing. People and circumstances might have tried to take you down. Yeah, um, God is our God in blessing and demise. Uh huh. He doesn't forsake us whether we are going through the valley of the shadow of death or if, well, we're experiencing a temporary, and I have to put it that way, a temporary time, a season of God's blessing and favor. Uh-huh. Yeah, weird dichotomy here that is literally making promises for God he never made. But God's going to take you up, and there is good in store for the righteous. And if you believe it... Yeah, I believe that. There is good in store for the righteous. It's called the new earth. Yeah, you familiar with the concept of eternal life? Give the Lord a shout of praise in this house tonight. Yeah, all right, so that was Anatomy of Destiny, and uh, what a train wreck that was. And uh, you'll note, um, wow, uh, (laughs) God's Word in context didn't even make an appearance until the very, very, very end of the sermon. That's not how it's supposed to work, and uh, oh, man. But at the very end, we had some connection between Jesus and David, but that even that wasn't even fleshed out. And folks, if this is the steady diet of the type of doctrine that you're receiving at your church, whether it's a rise church or another, you are being set up, literally set up 
to have your faith come crumbling down. And the thing is, you're trusting God for promises that he hasn't made to us in this lifetime. That's the problem. Is he able? Indeed he is. God is able. But despite his ability, God has not promised that everything's going to turn out hunky-dunky for you or for me. We're all heading to the grave, and Christ is the one who will call us from the grave. Think about that. All right, we're we're at the end of another edition of Fighting for the Faith. If you'd like to email me regarding anything you've heard on this edition or any previous editions of Fighting for the Faith, you can do so. My email address is talkback at fightingforthefaith.com, or you can subscribe on Facebook, facebook.com forward slash Meyer Christian. Follow me on Twitter. My name there, at Meyer Christian. Until tomorrow, may God richly bless you. Grace and mercy won by Jesus Christ is by Carrie's death on the cross for all of your sins. Amen. <laughs>